Good health is a crown worn by the healthy that only the ill can see. Your health really is your wealth. Join us for the next hour as we explore disease and attaining and maintaining good health. This is Dischem Medical Monday, brought to you by Dischem, pharmacists who care. And good morning to you. I'm Kathy Kayla. Thank you so much for joining me this morning. And isn't it a, just a beautiful autumn morning? I must say, I'm really enjoying the cooler weather, especially when you've got to cool down from your run, your exercise in the morning. It's just really lovely. I'm going to be your host for the next hour for this Dischem Medical Monday. And we're talking about something that is really, I feel, it doesn't really have the spotlight on it that it should have because it is a lot more prominent and a lot well, I suppose ubiquitous. Every, it's in every country. It is a disease that a total of 1.6 million people died from this disease in 2021. And that figure is, according to the World Health Organization, 187,000 of that, one, that 1.6 million people um, were HIV positive. Now, in South Africa, we know that our HIV rates are very, very high. So we should really be sitting up and paying attention. And that 1.6 is obviously the worldwide figure. It is This disease that I'm talking about is the 13th leading cause of death and the second leading infectious killer after COVID-19, that obviously being above HIV AIDS. In 2021, an estimated 10.6 million people fell ill with this disease worldwide. Isn't that just unbelievable? But 1.6 million people died, which is telling me that it is treatable. And yet, why aren't people getting treated? Hmm, what am I talking about? I'm talking about TB, tuberculosis. We know that we have something called drug or multi-drug resistant um, tuberculosis. We're going to be talking about it, unpacking it, looking at the impact of COVID-19 on TB. We know that during COVID, even coming out of the pandemic, people haven't gone to have themselves checked out. People... If, God forbid, you have a heart problem, you have something that you regularly had to go and check, have checked out, a lot of people just are putting it off. Even your annual checkups, people are just putting it off. And, uh, you know, when we have the information, we can do better. Right? My name is Kathy Kaler. This is Dischem Medical Monday. Joining me um, from Right to Care is Dr. Lucy Connell, who's the TB program leader. We're going to be talking about this. And why are we talking about TB now? Well, from the 1st until the 30th of March is TB month. It's annually. So that's why we're talking about it. And on, I think it was the 24th, was National or International Tuberculosis Day. So join me for the next hour. We're going to be pack, unpacking this. And uh, if you want to get in touch with me, I'd love to hear from you. You know how to do it. But just as a reminder, if you want to send me an SMS, the number is 34519. If you have a question, you can also send through your comments and your questions on 061-895-1019. And uh, especially if you've had TB, or if it's come into your environment, or it was suspected, or you had to take medication prophylactically, I'd love to hear from you. Please get in touch with me. Right now, let me just welcome my guest. Good morning, Dr. Connell. How how are you? I'm well, thanks. And you, Kathy? Um, my name is Lucy. Yeah, 
I'm very well, and and thank you for devoting this amount of time to a very important topic. And as you say, um, it, it beggars belief that it kills so many people worldwide and about 56,000 people in South Africa in 2021, hmm. which is probably an, uh, an underestimate. And and yet it is it's not ringing alarm bells in our heads. Why do you think that is? No, I think it's a. It's a, an infectious disease that's been around before the birth of Christ. It's, it's, you, one, one, one finds it in, in, in mummies from ancient Egypt. Um, but I think the world has the sense of fatigue around TB and it just, I, I think it's also about who largely carries the burden of TB in the world and it's largely developing countries, it's largely poorer companies who's not who are not going to pay millions and millions for for new pharmaceutical developments and other technological developments. On the other hand, it's also um it's fueled by malnutrition, by poverty, by poor living conditions. So that is is another reason why um it's it's its rates are higher in certain countries and generally why People pay less attention to it. I, I think it's as much as that. Um, and I think that other conditions have sort of overtaken. You know, HIV became a huge problem in many countries and, and South Africa was dealing with that. But it is now quite clear that one can deal now with HIV, but it's a scandal that with TB being a curable disease, we are not seeing very few people getting it these days. It's so interesting. I'd, I'd be so interested to learn more about the psychology of how human beings approach disease. You know, HIV, all of a sudden there's a way to treat it so people are having unprotected sex because our figures are on the rise again. Whereas, mm. you know, in, in the in the mid-80s, you know, there were campaigns to create this awareness. Um, is it the same with tuberculosis? I think for me, I think it's more that people don't see themselves as being at risk. And, and yes, that was also the problem with HIV for a long, long time and often still is. But, um, you know, the, the truth is with tuberculosis and with HIV, with TB, if you breathe, you can get TB. And with HIV, if you have sex, you can get HIV. So one's, one's got to see oneself as part and parcel of that risk. And I think that sometimes people say, oh, well, they conflate TB and HIV and they say, oh, well, if I'm HIV negative, I can't have TB. And that's absolutely not true. We know from excellent research done in households across the country in 2018 when we did the National TB Prevalence Survey that the biggest single group of people that are underdiagnosed in this country, so people who were found to have TB in the survey but were underdiagnosed were HIV-positive men. And and for two reasons. Men generally don't seek health care as early as women. They don't have the same reproductive superpowers that women have, which bring us to our health care workers. But they also generally feel too tough to go and sort themselves out. And so they go into clinics less. Um, and then on the other hand, while we are now getting 
very good at diagnosing HIV. We have an excellent diagnostic test that are very quick. You can even do it in the privacy of your own household. We don't have a similar thing for TB. And um, people who are HIV negative thus are, are underdiagnosed because there's no reason bringing them into contact with the healthcare system. So that's that's one set of reasons. Okay. Lucy, one of our listeners wants to know, how contagious is it? And I think that that's a great question. I mean, could we get it from, you know, a cashier in a store? Could we get it from, I mean, where, where do people actually get it? So the sort of general wisdom is that if you have active TB and you are, are breathing, Obviously, with breathing, it might be slightly less, or you're coughing. You can be aerosolizing TB bacteria into the air, and someone else can breathe it in. And they say that generally, person in that condition can infect between 10 to 15 other people in a year. So it's very different to what we've just experienced with COVID, which was much more infectious. But... It's, it's similar to COVID in that you, when you think about being a close contact, if you remember the definition for being a close contact with COVID was spending more, more than 15 minutes a day, um, less than six feet or a meter and a half from a person. And then you have to think that there are hundreds of people we routinely spend that sort of time with from our friends to our family to the people we travel in the bus with, to people we're in the church choir with, people we sit in the classroom with, you know, as a high school student. They're, they're, they're just hundreds and hundreds of people. So, yes, although it's less infectious than COVID was, um, you certainly have plenty of time to be exposed to people. Um, what we do know, though, is that if our government now provides laboratory testing, for anyone who comes in and says, look, um, in my family, I have an uncle who's been on TB treatment. He's very well now. And, you know, generally within days of starting TB treatment, one is no longer infectious, which is amazing. But, you know, if you've had a close contact with someone, you can pitch up at any clinic countrywide and ask for a laboratory TB test. And, in fact, the government's encouraging people to do that because... Contacts, people who are close contacts of other people with TB are, are at high risk of having TB themselves. All right, so maybe this is the point where we can actually ask, answer Henry's question because he's uh, sent through a question saying, what are the symptoms? Mm. So this is for you, Henry. <laughs> and if you want to okay. send through an Henry? SMS, just one second, Lucy. Uh, if you would like to send through your question, you can on 34519. That is SMS number. Those SMSs are charged at one rand fifty. You can also send a telegram. Can you believe we've, the more we go forward, the more we go back? And that number is zero six one eight nine five one zero one nine. I'm Kathy Kayla. This is Disco Medical Monday. My guest is Dr. Lucy Connell. We're talking about tuberculosis, and that's because March is Tuberculosis Month. So, Lucy, what are the symptoms of tuberculosis? Okay, Henry. Um when you are sick with TB, when it's causing symptoms, the four most common symptoms that are highly associated with a positive laboratory test are coughing, fever, a fever which comes and goes and doesn't go away, 
um, loss of appetite and weight. And in fact, we generally say losing 10% of your body weight um, without even trying. So obviously, if you've been dieting, you won't, um, you know, there's a good reason for losing weight. But if you're just living your normal life and you're losing weight, that's an issue. And then also drenching night sweats. And drenching night sweats are when you wake up and your T-shirt is sopping wet. My husband used to have drenching night sweats. He would wake up and his pillow would be wet. We'd have to take his pillow and put it out in the sun. So it's that sort of of severity of sweating. Um, and, and, and it definitely wasn't menopause for your husband. No. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. Okay. He doesn't have reproductive superpowers <laughs> of the same order. Okay, so, just um, checking. <laughs> and 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 just generally fatigue. People report being very very tired, out of kilter with what they have done during the day. Um, there are many many symptoms that can mimic TB, but those four that I mentioned are the are the ones most closely associated with having a positive test when you test someone. And so because of that, if you have ever experienced going to a clinic in this country, everybody that walks through the door who's not already on TB treatment should be asked about those symptoms. And if you were to say, yes, I've been coughing and it's not going away, then they should refer you um, to have your sputum collected to be sent to the laboratory for a TB test. The truth is, Lucy, but I mean, I it, to... it could also be, I mean, you know, with that, if you're doing exactly the same thing and you're losing weight without trying, it's not that you've, mm-hmm. you've adjusted your, your diet or you're taking something for your metabolism or you're exercising or you've changed anything and you're losing weight. That could be indicative of a whole lot of things, not necessarily Absolutely. TB. Um, the same with Absolutely. the night sweats. I mean, it, but it has to, but the fever that comes and goes, that's, uh, that would be quite unusual. You know, all of them are things you can get with other conditions. You're absolutely right. So, in fact, you've touched on a very important thing. When we ask about symptoms in the clinic setting or if the health department's doing outreaches, then that's really a screening test. It doesn't mean you have TB. It just means that you have a high likelihood of having TB and you should be tested. And having those symptoms is not strong enough evidence for TB. You now need to go and have a laboratory test for TB because the treatment um, period for TB is, is for standard TB that most people get is six months. And soon it may even be less. It may be four months. But nevertheless, it's a big deal to commit someone to treatment for that long. You have to have proof, laboratory proof that that person actually has TB before you commit them to that. Okay. So can you just unpack what you mean by commit them to that? What does that actually mean? Okay. Can you hear me? Yes. I'm just okay, wondering. Sorry, I no, no, no. So, <laughs> so what do you mean by okay. commit them to that? I mean, I know that there okay. are some people. So who all get, I mean is that yeah. it's a commitment to take um, six months of TB treatment okay. and you need to take it every day exactly as prescribed and then you know there's a, a very high cure rate if you do that um, and this so, could happen at home you would don't have to go into oh, no 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 you don't we used to think that you needed to watch people swallow TB treatment but that's not really 
you know, that's very paternalistic. And HIV has taught us that people, if they get the right information, the right support, are very capable of being the masters of their own treatment. And so what we know is that it's much more important to spend time explaining to people what their treatment entails and to also support them in case they have side effects. So many people don't experience side effects at all. But if you happen to be somebody who does get slight nausea or a rash, then, you know, your health worker needs to have told you beforehand, look, this is what might happen if ABC happens. Don't worry, I can help you with that. And, you know, come in any time, we will sort you out. So what I mean is that it is it is six months of treatment, so it's a long course. It's not just like taking antibiotics for a tonsillitis, which which will take you between five and seven days to complete. Um it's it's a long course and um why is but, it you so know, long? no one has to because the TB bacteria is very slow growing and one needs to it, it exposes itself to the targets of the antibiotics when it is dividing and growing and replicating. And so because it's so slow growing, um, you need to wait a long time to attack it in that phase and to kill all of them. So generally TB treatment, you take at least three or four drugs at one time, depending on whether you're a child or an adult. And, um, that is for the first two months of treatment. In the second two, in the second four months, you take two drugs. But those drugs are all targeting a different part of the bacteria. And so very quickly, you can stop those bacteria multiplying, but it takes longer to actually kill them. And so that is why. It, it, it takes a long time to be sure that all those blighters are dead in all the places that they are hiding. Okay. Let's talk about the more problematic TB because we've spoken about the treatable TB. But we've seen but an increase. Yes. Sorry, Kathy. before we go on, yes. it would be really remiss of me to not say something that um, we know now from the last four or five years. We know now, because our diagnostics and our screening tests have got so much better, that you can be walking around with TB in your lungs, causing disease, such that if you x-rayed, um, if you were x-rayed, you would find changes suggestive of TB in your lungs, um, but you are not yet symptomatic. So in other words, you are not yet feeling sick and you would tell anybody if they asked, you know, I'm, I'm not really feeling sick, you know, um, I don't have severe coughing, I don't have night sweats, etc. So that's what we've learned from our TB prevalence survey in 2018 and from research that various people are doing with the Department of Health all over the country. And so because of that, um, the government's doing two things. Number one, it's saying we know that some people are at higher risk of having TB. Therefore, those people need routine, regular laboratory testing for TB, whether they feel sick or not. And those people are people living with HIV, people who've had contact with someone on TB treatment in the last year, or someone who themselves was treated for TB in the last two years. 
And for all of those three reasons, such people need to present themselves every year for a laboratory test for TB. And each time they are a contact again of someone with TB. And then secondly, the government is now piloting the use of digital chest X-ray that uses artificial intelligence to read the X-ray and decide whether there could be changes due to TB in the X-ray. And then those people who do have changes then are, have a laboratory test for TB. And they're doing this both in clinics and in communities. So That's it's incredible. very important. It's amazing. And very soon we're going to have answers about how well does it work? How much more TB do we find? What does it cost? And should the government be investing in this technology? And if it does, who should the technology be targeted towards? So um, it is quite amazing. And, um, yeah, in that sense, our government's been very, very responsive to this issue of underdiagnosing TB. Amazing. So we are probably going to see TB figures rising, not necessarily because it's becoming more prevalent, yes. but because our diagnostics are getting better. Is that what you're saying? Absolutely. Absolutely. But if if our TB prevalence rises and we treat all those people, we will ultimately see a sharp decrease in mortality, deaths due to TB, and um, people getting so sick from TB because they're going to be treated earlier. And best of all for the nation, the time that someone's infectious is going to be much shorter. And so there will be less transmission Amen. within communities, families, workplaces. So not only is it great for the individual and the economy because now everyone's healthy and no one's having to pay for people who are sick, it is great for transmission. Yeah, exactly. It's I mean, look really how many. Yeah, I mean, look at just just take one segment of uh, of um, I don't know. Let's look at public transport. You know, it must Absolutely. be incredibly difficult when you're sitting next to somebody on a bus, on a train, in a taxi, and they're coughing and they don't know. They think that they've got mm. flu. Right, you don't know that they've Absolutely. lost a lot of weight, or whatever the case may be. I mean, it must be very, very difficult. Okay, can we please? Yeah. Uh, but um, it's, it's wonderful to hear these new developments. I'm Kathy Kayla. This is Diskem Medical Monday. I'm speaking to Dr. Lucy Connell, who's a TB, TB that is a tuberculosis program leader at Right to Care. We're talking about tuberculosis because March is Tuberculosis Month. It still is a bit of an anathema to me that. We can have a treatable disease and it's, we're still seeing the figures grow. And it's not necessarily because our diagnostics are getting better. Um, but we should, in theory, be able to eradicate it. And then we have treatable TB and then we have something called MDR, which is multi-drug resistant tuberculosis. And I think we should talk about that, Lucy. Okay. All righty. Would you like me to explain to people what it is? Well, how did it become, you've got a bacteria, you've got the tuberculosis bacteria that, as I'm understanding it from you, is slow growing, mm -hmm. which is why the treatment um, for that bacteria infection is six months, right? Mm -hmm. Then yeah. we have something called this MDR-TB. And I remember 
years ago. There was a hospital, I don't know if it's still going, it's called Seasway. And yes, it's pe- absolutely still going. People on MDR, uh, people who had MDR TB actually had to be hospitalized and uh-huh. had to live there for a very long time until, you know, you can't, you can't let this drug resistant strain of tuberculosis bacteria out into the public domain because then, you know, you're up the creek without a paddle, literally. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so well, our thinking, our thinking has changed somewhat from then. Okay, we still do um, offer hospitalisation to people, especially if they are ill. So some people are diagnosed fairly late in the process, um, and then they can be quite sick at that stage. So they do require the type of close care that you would get in a hospital, and also if people have what we would call smear positive TB, which is TB that um, you can actually find the bacteria under the microscope in a sample of sputum. Those people are, are quite infectious, depending on how many bacteria you can see in that microscopic field. And the more bacteria you can see, the more you know that that person is highly infectious and that every time they cough, they could be aerosolizing lots of bacteria and and um, especially if those people have got resistance to many drugs so um, drug resistant TB covers a whole spectrum of different types of resistance there's multi-drug resistance in which you are resistant to, to two of the main um, pillars of treatment um, isoniazid and um, rifampicin and then there's extensively drug resistance where you're not only resistant to those two, but in addition, you're also resistant to um, drugs called called fluoroquinolones and, and what used to be the injectables. And so that is someone who's resistant to many, many drugs. Obviously Sorry, was that a question? No, that wasn't a question. <laughs> okay, okay, so so the so, risk is obviously that that. So how are these patients with with uh, resistant okay. tuberculosis treated? Okay, so we don't have enough hospital beds to offer everybody with drug resistant TB a bed, nor would we want to at this stage because people have lives, got families, and um, you can't you can't really incarcerate people. And you don't really need to because some people are not very sick when they're diagnosed and and they might not be very infectious when you examine their sputum. And so the government has now um, expanded over the last decade the ability to initiate drug-resistant TB treatment to more and more facilities, um, health facilities in each province. And the whole idea is that if you get diagnosed with drug-resistant TB, you don't have to go far away from home unless you need to because you're sick. If you are walking around fine, then you can take your treatment at home um, with support from, from the health facility. And the idea is that you shouldn't have to pay out of pocket to get your treatment because you live far from a clinic. So everybody should be close to what they call a decentralized drug resistant drug resistant TB treatment clinic. And um Would those people need to wear masks? Get... 
Lucy? Yeah, so what happens? No, no, and, 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 and it does happen. And in fact, I would say, just as an aside, remember what COVID taught us. If you are coughing and spluttering and feeling fluey, then wear a mask when you're out and about in the shops. I mean, everybody should. Uh, but so what happens if you are diagnosed with drug-resistant TB treatment and you start your treatment? Um, there will be um, outreach health workers who go to your home and they will look at your home and they will chat to your family and they will show the family how to protect themselves while you're still in the infectious phase. And so they'll say, they'll explain, okay, open the windows. Um, for, for the next two weeks, this person shouldn't share a bed with three other people or a room with other people. So much like we did during COVID isolation, if you were ill, then, you know, they, 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 they assist that family to work out what is the best way of supporting this person and at the same time protecting everyone else at home. So indeed, they provide the masks, they provide the advice, and they touch base with those people. So, you know, I think that it's very important that we become used to supporting people who have drug-resistant TB. If we demonize people and get over-hysterical about it, all we're going to do is stigmatize it. Yeah. And the last thing someone would want to do would be to share with anybody that they're coughing if they were worried that that could be their diagnosis. And it's, it's really, it's not necessary. There are ways. We know from COVID that there are ways to make a room and a household safe from airborne infection. You're on 101.9 High FM. I'm Kathy Kayla. This is the Diskem Medical Monday because they are pharmacists to care. My guest this morning is Dr. Lucy Connell, who's the TB program leader at Right to Care. We're talking about tuberculosis because March is to international, actually, tuberculosis month. And if you've got any questions, you can send them through. We've got a question from Stacy. We've got a question from Len, which I'm going to ask uh, Lucy in a little while. But um, you want to get in touch? 34519. You know the number. That's You should have it on speed dial on your phone. That's the SMS. Otherwise, you can, if you're on Telegram, you can send us a message that way. And that number is 061 8951019 This is Medical Monday brought to you with compliments of Discam pharmacists who care I'm Kathy Kayla, and indeed it is Monday it's a beautiful start to the week the lovely the cooler weather that we're seeing now in the you know late autumn it's beautiful Joining me this morning is Dr Lucy Connell who is the tuberculosis program leader at Right to Care we're talking about tuberculosis because March is tuberculosis month, both in South Africa and the World Health Organization has declared this a national month or an international month. We've been talking about lots of aspects of TB, how it's been impacted, how many people have been diagnosed with it. Just in 2021, 10.6 million people worldwide of which 1.6 million people died from it. 187,000 of them uh, were HIV positive. South Africa, we have very high HIV rates. Now, I think on one hand, it worked with uh, worked for us um, in terms of COVID. We saw very, very few people who were HIV positive passing away, and that's usually because of the immune system and how the the COVID virus worked on our bodies, 
but TB is not like that. We've, joining me on the line is Dr. Lucy Connell, who, as I said, she's the program leader at the Right to Care. Lucy, before I get to Stacey's question and Len's question, which they're very good questions, mm-hmm. we've got very, very curious listeners this morning. You mentioned earlier <laughs> that your that your husband um, he had night sweats, so I'm assuming that he was diagnosed with tuberculosis. Is that correct? No, indeed. But because of my preoccupation with TB, he was tested for TB and he didn't have TB. He turned out to have um, one of the other conditions that can cause um, night sweats. Ah. So, But it is forever fixed in my mind because we were taught as students about how night sweats differ from just how you sweat when you piled up with blankets and you're too hot. Um, and and that's exactly what patients describe. So I'm always sort of grateful in a way that I had that very graphic experience of what night sweats were. Yeah, and, and yeah. It's, it's, um, it, you absolutely were able to rule out menopause, as you said earlier. So. <laughs> absolutely. <Yeah. laughs> All right. All right, let's get to some of these stories. Uh, Stacy says, I had uh, – let me just have a look here. Um, I have scarring in my lungs. Mm-hmm. Am I high risk for TB? I think that that's a great question. Thank you, Stacey. Um, Stacey, um, I guess it depends on, on what is the reason that there, there is scarring. Well, I imagine, I mean, it could be from COVID maybe. But could be COVID, could be pneumonia, um, cystic fibrosis, which is rare in women. Yeah. Um, no, could could be a number of reasons, and not necessarily so. I mean, if if the scarring is from a bullet which um, passed through your lungs and and everything's fine now, there's not necessarily a high risk. But um, you are potentially at higher risk depending on the underlying cause. Um, and and if you are worried, you should um, chat to your your GP or or go to your closest clinic. Um, generally, you know, many people have got scarring in their lungs from previous TB, and and their risk is not too great now. But generally, we do know that if you've had TB in the last two years, we if we test those people automatically, we do find a slightly higher rate of TB. Okay, so who so, is high I mean, risk? The answer, Stacey, is possibly but not necessarily. Let's so I think that people, okay, there are many, obviously HIV is one of the highest drivers. But as I said, do not think if you happen to be HIV negative that you are not at risk. Um, things that increase your risk of getting TB are also things like malnutrition because, remember, your immune system needs a strong um, needs good nutrition to remain strong. And when your immune system is weak, it cannot control the TB bacteria when it enters your lungs in the same way as someone with a strong immune system could. Um, people who, who, who misuse alcohol and, and, and drugs and, um, including tobacco smoking. So smokers are definitely at higher risk. People who've worked with silica dust, so we know our miners, people who've extracted the wealth um, of our country are, are at higher risk. And they definitely um, remain at higher risk. And, and people in their families and communities and communities surrounding mines 
are, are at higher risk of TB. And so they are definitely also a focus of the Department of Health. Um, yeah, I, th- I think those are the main things. And of course, if you know you have been in close contact with somebody who has been on TB treatment. What is the prognosis? How many people survive it? Um, if, if you were to take no treatment at all, um, generally about uh, the mortality rate would be 50%. I mean, if you think back to uh, the stories about um, of Charlotte Bronte and, and people who, who, who lived in the 1800s and sure. the 1700s, you know, people died very often of TB or they went off to sanatoria high on mountaintops where it was very cold and there was very little oxygen. And generally that would slow down the advance of their TB disease a little bit. But, you know, the mortality rate is high if it's untreated, but can be a 100% if it is treated. And the earlier you pick it up, the higher your chance of treating it successfully and returning your lungs to their pristine condition. Amazing. Which actually segues very nicely into Len's question, which is, when is it too late to get treatment? I think that that's never a great question. Oh, it's never too never, late? Never, ever too late. No. Um, you know, it, it is absolutely um, not too late. Okay. Um, I mean, just, yeah, I mean, uh, what, yeah. It's, it's, it's never too late and it's never too late to present yourself if you fall into any of those risk categories or if you're worried. Okay. Fantastic. Okay. So, uh, we really covered a very, very wide range <laughs> of facts about tuberculosis, uh, tuberculosis and COVID. Is there any relationship between the two? Yeah. In terms of the treatment? In terms of the treatment, um, not, not really. Um, depending on, on what sort of TB you have, whether it's susceptible to all the drugs or, or it has a certain resistance profile, you, you would be treated in the same way whether you, you had COVID or not. I think the big story about COVID is how it disrupted um, routine TB services and how it set back TB care and prevention by almost a decade in, in most parts of the world. So for example, in South Africa, um, and, and the world in general, we've seen TB mortality rates that we last saw over a decade ago. Um, and we know that in the, in the first part of, of our lockdowns, especially the hard lockdown, the number of TB tests dropped to 50% of what they should have been for that year based on the year, the previous figures. Um, and, and the figures that, that were forecast for that year without COVID. And that happened for two reasons. So number one, when, when world was faced with COVID, it was obviously massive, panic, um, coping with, with huge amounts of very, very sick people. So a lot of routine health services suffered. We know that childhood vaccination suffered, that HIV testing and care suffered, and so did TB testing and care. And then also 
in in the months following lockdown, once we could travel again, it took a very long time for the numbers that used to attend clinic, uh, you know, to 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 get back up to those numbers because now we had a fear of contagion. We didn't want to move about and go to busy places like clinics. Right. Um. So I think that. The care was really not. The good news is that our laboratory service, the National Health Laboratory Service, reports that throughout 2021, there was a slow increase in the number of testing and that in 2022, it was back to previous levels and even exceeding previous levels. But we know for that whole time in 2020 and the first part of 2021, we've got to find all those people that we didn't diagnose them. So what we really want to see is much higher testing volumes and, and the use of our new technology, uh, that, that, that uses digital chest x-ray and artificial intelligence to, to actually expand into communities and catch all those people. Yeah. Those people we didn't diagnose as well as people running around thinking they're fine, um, but, but could actually have TB without symptoms. So just to just to recap, uh, the symptoms of tuberculosis is if you are coughing, and I I remember seeing something that if you are coughing up blood, that I think that that becomes a one of the diagnostics, right? Absolutely, yeah. Um, Got quite a high correlation. Yeah, uh, if you have a fever, but it's not a constant fever. You run a temperature. And then it's fine. And then you run a temperature. It's not a constant fever. Um, if you have loss of appetite, if you have drenching night sweats, if you have weight loss for no reason, just generally as a rule, if you have weight loss for no reason, you should go get it checked out. But so that's a coughing fever. If you've mm-hmm. lost your appetite, if you have these drenching night sweats, that means that you wake up in the middle of the night, you're shivering, but you're clothing is actually wet from perspiration you need to go and get checked out it is treatable there is no reason for the number of people who pass away from tuberculosis to to still pass away it's treatable absolutely yeah and can i just add one more thing treatable south africa is a world leader in bringing the new and highly effective antibiotics for treating drug-resistant TB into our TB control program. Even when they're not yet registered by our Medicine um, Regulatory Council, SAPRA, they bring them in under special, super-safe conditions um, so that they can be studied. And that has resulted in untold lives saved because it means that if you're lucky enough to be in South Africa, you have early access to drugs because of the proactive um, stance by the Department of Health in bringing them in. So, um, and I just have to tell you that in the last five years, six years, I know of five brand new drugs that are highly effective in treating drug-resistant TB. That are, that are now available routinely to patients in South Africa. Yeah. Absolutely marvelous. So, yeah. My guest this hour has been Dr. Lucy Connell, who is a TB program leader at Right to Care. I've been Kathy Kayla. Well, I'm still Kathy Kayla. I will be back on your radio next Monday from 10 until 11.
for Discam Medical Monday. Thank you to everybody who sent through messages. Thank you so much to my lovely guest, Dr. Lucy Connell from Right to Care. I wish you a wonderful week. Stay safe. Mask up if you have to. Be responsible. And I'll be back next week. God bless. Bye.